How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me growth. That's hbs.me growth. You are Locked On Bucks, your daily Milwaukee Bucks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name. Joining me as always is my good friend Frank Madden. And sponsoring tonight's episode is our good friends at SeatGeek. And it's not, well, it still is basketball season, so you can still get great basketball tickets if you happen to be in a city where there's basketball going on. But you can use SeatGeek for all the other great things that they have, all the other events, all the other sporting events. Uh, they, they do it all at SeatGeek, and you can use our promo code L-O-B-U-C-K-S. Again, that's L-O-Bucks for Locked On Bucks, and that'll get you a $20 rebate off your first SeatGeek purchase. Frank, I am sitting at home watching uh, this the Spurs-Warriors game and getting a little bit sad that this might be the last game I will ever get to watch Manu Ginobili. He's still surprisingly good. I mean, it's, it's kind of what, is he, is he, is he older than Jason Terry? I mean, they're basically in the same general age range. Um, And the fact that he is still physically capable of, you know, going to the teeth of a defense and at times dunking and, you know, just generally being Manu Ginobili like is, um, is pretty amazing. I mean, one of the, one of the most unique and, and really fun and I think, joyful players of uh of the last you know 15 plus years in uh in the nba so i think um yeah i mean if this is the end it's it's interesting because i mean the spurs already felt like a team that were kind of you know just i mean i just didn't feel like they were talented enough to to challenge the the warriors even if they were healthy um and obviously we won't know with with Kawhi and, and Tony Parker and um, I mean, they really don't think it matters that much, but, um, but with all these injuries, obviously, you know, you can argue, you won't really know, but um, yeah, it's, it's, it's tough. Spurs. I mean, this is good. This is not locked on Spurs with Jeff Garcia, um, who, who, who has been nice enough to have me on before, but, um, but it is interesting to think what, what happens to the Spurs if Manu retires. Um, I was talking to Matt Tynan from uh, covers Spurs. He used to write SB nation with us. Um, you know, he was saying, Dwayne Dedman's gone. Don't know what happens to Patty Mills. Um, yeah, it's it's a weird spot for the Spurs. End of an era potentially tonight with uh, with Manu. And I don't know. We'll see. The 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 Warriors' grip on the West may only strengthen if, uh, if a guy like Manu retires. Yeah, it was just strange, you know, to see him in the starting lineup, get announced last. And, man, just started to think about it. Like, he, he's been around since I could comprehend the game of basketball, if that makes sense. Um, obviously... He he wasn't playing basketball when I was born, but since I can actually comprehend the game at a high level, he's been around and he's been he's been awesome. So it was just kind of a, a weird thought to have. Um, I guess another weird thought to have would be John Hammond leaving the Milwaukee Bucks to to go somewhere else, and that's been a thought that we've kind of had to deal with for the last I don't know week or so. Um, we heard reports a couple weeks ago that. The Orlando Magic were interested uh, in having John Hammond come in to interview to be their their next GM, their next president, because uh, they have a, a whole thing that they need, a whole 
office that they need to redo in Orlando. Uh, so news broke today that former assistant GM to John Hammond from 2008 to 2013 in Milwaukee, Jeff Weltman, has been hired as the Orlando Magic's president of basketball operations. And he was currently serving as the Toronto Raptors general manager under uh, Masai Ujiri, who is their president of basketball ops. So... Again, there's some connections there. I think the people that were holding their breath can now see, all right, well, that position has been filled. Being the being the president of Orlando, the Orlando Magic would be a, a step up for John Hammond, while uh, being a GM might not be quite as attractive. But still, that's, that's a guy that Hammond has worked with in the past in Jeff Weltman, um, and that could be a way for him to get job security. As we've mentioned a number of times, he he does not have a contract extension yet. He does just have one year left on his contract uh, next season, and it's been reported by Adrian Wojnarowski that John, uh, excuse me, Justin Zanuck would be the the GM in waiting, and everyone's kind of trying to figure out if that's actually the case. Um, so I don't know where to really go with this. I, I guess I'll also add that uh, Brian Windhorst reported after um, Adrian Wojnarowski that the Magic interviewed several candidates for the job, and John John Hammond was one of those people that was interviewed for that position. Um, and you brought up something that I didn't even think about. Um, on Twitter, but you had said that in 2012, the last time that John Hammond was a lame duck, um, that they didn't even allow him to interview for other jobs that summer. Um, they just kind of let him sit out there, refused to let him interview, and that was not the case this time. And I guess my assumption would be that, okay, they. When someone asked me why would the Bucks let him interview, I said, well, again, no one really knows for sure, but I think it'd be safe to assume that, one, this organization under new ownership, after their initial dealings uh, with, with getting rid of Larry Drew and bringing in Jason Kidd, have kind of focused on doing the right thing and, and trying to build up some of that organizational goodwill. I know we've we've had stories about uh, Jared Dudley, Zaza Pachulia, and the Bucks trying to improve their standing around the league um, as an organization. And I, I would assume that would be what this is, that, okay, we have a GM that only has one year left on his deal. Let's make sure that we, we let him go out and interview for, for other jobs. And then also I think it, it maybe that speaks to them having some faith that, okay, Justin Zanuck could step into this role. We have confidence that he could do this job well. And if John Hammond were to get hired, that's something that maybe they feel like they're prepared for. But those are the two logical things that went through my mind at the time. I guess, what were you thinking when you saw Jeff Weltman was the one that ended up getting hired? And then also the report that John Hammond was one of the people that interviewed for that position. Yeah, well, I, I think back to uh, 2012, and, and that was when uh, the Portland Trailblazers, this was before they hired Neil Olshay, um, they were looking for a new GM. John Hammond's name was mentioned. He was, I guess at that point, a couple years removed from his Executive of the Year award that he got in 2010. And um, he was a lame duck. Scott Scowles was a lame duck. I think this was in April of 2012. Um, and uh, this was the same, around the same time that um, I think maybe a little before the famous Scott Skiles cleaning out his, his desk slash office, anticipating getting fired. And then Herb Cole was just like, nope, not firing you, not giving you any money to not work. <laughs> um, 
and basically had both Hammond and Skiles uh, come back uh, under lame duck circumstances. And actually, I mean, I think I think John Hammond has been under that circumstance. I mean, maybe at least three. This might be the fourth time because keep in mind Hammond was was given an, a one year extension a yeah. year ago, and I believe the year before that he got another one year extension. So it's been very normal for him to be sort of year to year uh, in his tenure as as Bucks coach and kind of fits in with you know what we always say about John Hammond you know, he, he really is a survivor um, he's a guy that has stuck in in his current capacity through two ownership groups through you know obviously multiple head coaches being fired um, and you know I mean it, it, I think it says a lot about him and his ability to work with people and you know leave a positive impression on people and be somebody that that you know people want to keep around um, that that he has continually survived and um, you know, not surprised at all when when you were at that media availability with him um, at the end of uh, end of the season that you know he he just took that uh, question that was asked about uh, you know his contract not not you know only being having one year left um, he just talked about being appreciative of the job he has and you know only thirty jobs in the league I think that's something we we've, we've mentioned a, a fair bit right even if it's not maybe the most ideal job you know even if he was frustrated working for Herb Cole even if you know the Jason Kidd situation especially initially might have been awkward it's a GM job in the NBA <laughs> there's 30 of them <laughs> it, that's it. it it pays well and you know it's it's a unique job and uh and it's and it's one that I think he's always appreciated and I think that that attitude has has served him very well and I think he's you know uh, somebody who has a lot of respect and a lot of friends around the league because of it um but yeah going back to 2012 it's interesting because I think that was the summer where I was in Vegas, you know, I, I've gone. To, I go to Vegas every summer for summer league. Um, 2011 was was the year when they, I think, they didn't have it because of the lockout. It's 2012. I was back, um, and I remember talking to John Hammond and Jeff Weltman um, outside Thomas and Max. And I forget which which game this was. This wasn't the last game of the of the thing, but um, but I had met John in 2008. Um, I did a that we, I mean, you can still go look at it. We did a um, a multi piece interview thing with him at uh, at Brew Hoop, and um, truth be told, he's always been very receptive and open. And I've talked to him a few, you know, I, whenever I see him, I'll talk to him. And you know, I'm I'm a bad journalist in the sense that I don't really seek out interviews <laughs> with with the GM of the team. Um, but he's you know very available if if people want to talk to him. Um, and uh, I, I must have talked to him and Jeff Weltman for 45 minutes or an hour. We eventually walked out of out of Thomas and Mac, and you know, I'll I'll just say this: they were. This was at a time in 2012 where things were not as rosy as they were today. And this was during the Herb Cole era, and you could tell that these guys were extremely frustrated that they were stuck in the middle. And you know, multiple times, and this was something they mentioned publicly as well. This stat around. You know, top five picks, or I forget what the number is, forty percent likely to become all stars, or something like that. And you know, both Jeff Weltman and John Hammond, they they uttered the phrase that year and and that day when I talked to them. You know, what what do you what do you need in 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 uh, if you're a general manager, you need cap space and first round picks, cap space and first round picks, and um and 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 sorry, and top five picks. <laughs> Excuse me, top five picks. Um, and so it was interesting because because I remember coming away from that conversation thinking. I don't think John Hammond wants to be the general manager of the Milwaukee Bucks anymore. But, um, you know, to his credit, a year later, he drafted Giannis Dedekumbo. And, um, you know, obviously a number of other moves happened over the next couple of years that have led the Bucks to where they are. And 
Um, and Jeff Weltman was, you know, right there with him in, in the early days of it. And Jeff eventually went to Toronto. Jeff, um, I think, you know, super nice guy, seemed like a very sharp guy. Um, I think was involved in sort of the early days of the Bucks beginning to embrace analytics more than, you know, certainly many other teams were. So, um, so there's certainly a lot of irony in, Jeff Wellman and and John Hammond, you know, being effectively, you know, interviewing for the same job, um, you know, Jeff being nominally a GM, but, you know, really he's working for Masai Ujiri. So, you know, he's not like a quote unquote real GM, let's say, um, in Toronto. So obviously a big move to uh, to be the, the ultimate decision maker in Orlando. And um, it kind of I, I hadn't really thought about him being being in that that. Uh, that consideration and obviously for for John Hammond um yeah I would agree I mean I'm I'm glad the Bucks you know if if certainly it seems like they are open to to this transition over the next year or so and I'm glad that they would allow him to interview for a different job if you know again I'm I'm sure a multi-year deal to be a team president in Orlando it could have been you know probably pays pretty well and the job security that comes with it I think you know again given given what Hammond has done for this franchise and, you know, the fact that he's been a good soldier and, um, always, you know, dealt with, with uncertainty, you know, from when he first started under the new ownership group to, um, to today, you know, he's, he's played a good soldier role. He has not questioned anything, um, publicly and, and kind of gone about his business. And obviously the team is, um, now in a, in a very good position, I would say. And, and he's had a lot to do with, with number of those, you know, key moves. So, um, happy that he was allowed to interview, but certainly also interesting that, yeah, he interviewed, right? And and I think that would seemingly affirm the assumption that has been out there, as you said, reported. Um, the Bucks have not, you know, made any public comments really confirming that that Justin Zanuck is, you know, that there's some specific timetable. But obviously, we know um, we know when John Hammond's contract is up, and yeah, y- y- obviously that at this point looks like it could be an inflection point in terms of Justin Zanuck's role and, and John Hammond's role. And, um, you know, I think at this point, I'd sort of like, uh, until something changes, you just assume that, that maybe John Hammond is around for another year. But by the same token, I, I'm glad that, you know, he would at least have the opportunity to interview for another job if the Bucks are indeed um, looking to uh, to make Justin Zanuck the guy. And um, certainly ironic that Jeff Weltman, of all people, would, uh, would end up getting the Orlando job. Yeah, I thought it was... I thought it was interesting when I read Windhorse's story that he had mentioned that Hammond was allowed to interview, but David Griffin was not. And it, it was just interesting to me in that David Griffin's in pretty much the same situation. Uh, he he does not have a contract for next year, obviously. There, well, I, he's, he doesn't he doesn't even have a contract for next year, right? Because, I mean, Hammond signed through next year, and I think... Correct. Correct. That- Griffin's literally like done yes. on June 30th, except there's obviously nobody sort of at this point you'd expect to take over the job. Yeah, so he's he's in an even worse position than Hammond, and they're not letting him interview. And again, I don't know how much these things matter, and I and I've been thinking about it more this summer, especially when, <clears throat> especially when uh, T.J. Leaf was in the other week. One of the first things he mentioned in an interview about the organization was about how they're going to have world-class facilities and everyone I've met has been so great and all these different things. And again, like from the outside, it I think for fans and, and I think for us trying to analyze this, it, it often feels like, oh, just make whatever 
the best decision is for you to win, whatever the best decision is for you financially. Like these should all be very cut and dry decisions. And I, I just feel like in the last year, couple of years, I've really started to feel that all of that seemingly ancillary stuff, like it, it matters. Like all of those things matter. Like how agents view you, how uh, players talk about you, how coaches talk about you, how I guess draftees, free agents, how they are viewing your organization actually seems to matter. And again, when when you look at that Cavaliers organization under Dan Gilbert, obviously they've won championships and everything should be great and perfect. But I think there's always been this projected view that they don't do things the right way. And and Dan Gilbert is a bit of a loose cannon. And, and Dan Gilbert might not be uh, the best guy to run an organization. And there's a, always some sort of dysfunction going on in that organization. And, and that just, to me, stuck out again as, as another situation where, hey, you've put David Griffin in a really rough position as a GM. <laughs> like he's totally capped out. He has to find the craziest loopholes and trade exceptions to make things work and create a great team and then you don't sign him to an extension even though he just won you a championship and now he's hanging out there but you're not going to let him interview for other jobs and and there's just so many things there that appear to be bad (laughs) uh, from the outside and give off a negative perception of this team and then uh, on the opposite side you see the Bucks. okay well, th- there is this thought that there's a GM in waiting in Justin Zanuck, and John Hammond is not going to get extended again, uh, but he still has one year left on his contract, so he's entering a lame dunk, se- a lame duck season, and the Bucks are still letting him go out there and, and do those things. And I-, I don't, I don't know. Have have you felt any differently about those things? Because I don't know what it, it's just been the last couple of years. It it feels like these things actively like. They very much matter, and me as someone who wants to be very process-based and the right decision and uh, looking at things analytically, like I want to say those things shouldn't matter, but again and again, it seems like all of those things do. Yeah, it's a, well, well, first off, let me say this. I mean, we shouldn't feel too bad for David Griffin because he's capped out, but he has LeBron James, Kyrie Irving, and Kevin Love. So that's a good start, right? But It seems I, okay. I will, I, will grant, I will grant him that. It, it seems okay, but it's also the standard he's being held to, right, is you win a championship or you're a failure, right? And, um, and the margin of error they had a year ago, I mean, they, you know, I would say nine times out of 10, if that series, well, maybe not nine times out of 10, but I would say seven times out of 10, maybe eight times out of 10, if you replay that whole series again, and you think about, you know, what had to happen in order for the Cavs to come back and win that series, I think the Cavs don't win that series. And, um, and that's why I think, honestly, I think the Warriors are, should be clear favorites to win this year, but that's a different conversation. But, um, but yeah, I mean, you think about just the margin of error for, from being, you know, the savior of Cleveland who wins a title and, you know, uh, may or may not, depending on whether Dan Gilbert wants to give up any of his billions to, to retain the guy that brought him a championship. Um, you know, the, the margin of error is, is very tight. And um, I, I, I would agree. I mean, I, it's interesting kind of looking at the Bucks because they've obviously put such an emphasis on kind of doing things the right way and, um, you know, trying to, um, you know, think big picture about the way the franchise is perceived both by fans as well as players, as you were kind of mentioning, um, you know, trying to kind of, have an organization that that is you know first rate world class all these things that 
people talk about, but I think the Bucks, um, since the the new ownership group has come in, I do think that they have you know really put their money where their mouth is on a lot of fronts, investing in a lot of things that you know like I mean they just have way more people doing way more stuff in like all parts of the organization than they did before. You know, I mean like. If, Vegas, good example. Just like I remember when the you know the new ownership groups come over, and you know just just hearing about people say like, oh, well, they're just bringing like more people can go, and it's just like you're not on a shoestring budget, all this kind of stuff. Um, you know that's 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 important, right? And it's important for the people that work for the team. It's important for the people that play for the team. It's important for you know fans and and everybody who covers the team. And I think it matters. I mean. And and I think the important thing too is those are the things you can control. You know, those are sort of the the. Um, the variables that, you know, the independent variables that, that a team and ownership group can actually control pretty easily. Um, and the hard part is obviously the, the getting the players and the superstars and, and having it all work the right way and, and win at a really high level. And obviously the Bucks are still trying, still trying to figure that out, hopefully uh, on the right track. But, um, but it is interesting to see. And, and I don't know, and I don't want to get kind of put onto a whole different track, but I think it is interesting also to kind of ponder, you know, the, the whole thing that everything that's kind of happened with Jason Kidd and, you know, how, um, you know, how he arrived, um, I, I think that probably caught, you know, the ownership group very new at the time. I mean, they literally just taken over. I think a lot of the press around that and the way things kind of leaked out and, you know, Kidd was made obviously look very bad in the way he left Brooklyn. Um, I think a lot of that kind of maybe caught them off guard and, and that was sort of a learning experience for them. And it's sort of interesting, you know, I, I don't think I, it's it's interesting to ponder, you know, if if they knew knew then what they knew now, like how might that have played out differently? Would would Jason Kidd have even come to Milwaukee at that point? You know, just just lots of interesting what ifs. But but obviously at this point, you know, you just kind of play it as it lies. And and certainly the Bucks, I think, have done a lot of things to um, to put themselves in a much better position and to be perceived as a team that is on the upswing and has a lot of things going for it besides just you know a good team and an up and coming team. And um, we kind of alluded to that with you know the organizations people and investments and uh, certainly the, the infrastructure around the team is, is, you know, certainly on the upswing. And, you know, obviously a big piece of that is who's making the decisions and, you know, is that going to be John Hammond just for another year or, um, you know, might we see someone, you know, Justin Zanuck being the obvious person, might we see him um, calling the shots sooner than, than even uh, what we previously thought a year ago. I, I think one of the crazy thing is when we had this conversation was that the day after the season, when, Brian Windhorst went on the jump and said, well, the Bucks have a decision to make with Jason Kidd. I, I think at the night of, so Thursday night after the Bucks lost that game, uh, I we recorded a podcast and I was very positive and uh, I was kind of thinking about the future and all of the great things that it, it holds. And I wasn't thinking of a, a shaky future. I wasn't thinking of some possible unknowns. And I said it when we talked about that Windhorse report that, wow, we kind of, that's kind of a a 180 there where all of a sudden maybe the the coach is in flux and now in recent weeks we've added the story about Hammond being in flux and it's just kind of crazy to think that you would have thought going into into this offseason that, okay, the Bucks' ways to improve are very clear. Like, there's going to be limited cap room. If they want to make a trade to create some, they know that they're going to have to get rid of one of those mid-level contracts. They can retain Tony Snell as a restricted free agent. They can match any of those deals. And then they can probably go out and use their mid-level exception. And that's going to be kind of how they improve their team. There, There isn't going to be a whole lot more out there. And now 
again, it's kind of all just gotten thrown into the air. And uh, it's just funny to me that now we're thinking about this again, where, okay, maybe John Hammond isn't back. And maybe the the transition that we thought was coming after next season is going to happen this summer. And then, oh, well, maybe also Jason Kidd might not be around. And it's just funny that all of this has kind of happened when – you think everything is steady and going to be constant and it's just going to be the next step in a cycle. The NBA just throws you a bunch of things you would have never saw coming. Yeah. I mean, I guess the Hammond thing obviously was, you know, we, we've known that something could happen or would happen eventually. And, and now is sort of, you know, it seemed like it was a matter of, of when, uh, or sorry, you know, a matter of when, not if, um, and so we'll see, you know, could, could the when be, be as soon as the summer or, or might it not? Although, um, you know, certainly with the number of, of openings, you know, Atlanta is probably the other one that, you know, I guess could be a possibility for, you know, the likes of, of John Hammond and, and others. Um, but, uh, I don't know. I mean, that, that's, that's, uh, that's one job. Right. And I think, you know, again, you kind of look at it that, the odds of John Hammond getting any individual job probably are not that high. Um, and we don't even know if he's going to interview from that, but interesting that he, we found out he did interview and we didn't even know anything about it. Right. I mean, we had the, we had the rumor of, uh, of, of uh, Orlando being interested in interviewing him, but we really didn't hear, um, much of anything else. And I don't know who knows. I mean, you know, with, with Weltman working there, I mean, I don't know, like would, would, uh, you know, would working for his former assistant GM, like, would that be an opportunity? Maybe not even this year, but but you know, a year from now, if if he does leave Milwaukee, um, I don't know. You know, John Hammond has a lot of friends. Didn't seem like he was looking to walk away from the game when you talked to him at the end of the season. Um, and I think you know, I, I imagine we'll just have to take it like John does, and that's day by day, right? He's here <laughs> right now, and yeah, um, that's that's just the way it's going to be, and that's the way he's going to do it. But certainly, the, the 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 more days go by that John Hammond is here, the more days go by that Jason Kidd is here the more likely you would expect them to to continue to be here because you imagine that, you know, again, the team wouldn't want to drag out a, a decision like this. And again, with Hammond, it's probably less of a decision, more of an opportunity. Does he does he find something else he wants to do? Um, with Kidd, obviously, probably a bit different. Um, you would think if they wanted to move on from him, they're not going to just randomly decide to do that in mid-August. Um, you would expect that they'd want to figure that out sooner rather than later. And, you know, obviously we haven't heard really anything else since... Um, since those kind of murmurs from, from Brian Windhorst, which, you know, again, kind of echoed murmurs that we were hearing for, for a while. And, um, we've heard very few murmurs that Jason Kidd is a lock to return or, you know, entrenched or anything else like that, which obviously is, uh, you know, probably something that would have surprised people if you told them that, you know, a year, two years ago, for sure. So I guess with Hammond thinking about going to the magic, to me, that does seem like something he would do, uh, just because again, we talked. We talked about it before. There's 30 of those jobs. I, I, I thought you were going to say because he's like a guy who lives in Wisconsin who's getting older and thus would move to Florida. <laughs> I was not going to go for that joke, but it's it's staring me right in the face, certainly. Uh, but it just seems like again, if you want to keep one of those 30 jobs, and you know that maybe your future is not the most clear in Milwaukee, well, getting hired by one of your friends to be the GM at the place he just took the president of basketball ops job. That seems like a pretty secure position. (laughs) That seems like at least three more years added to your career as an NBA GM. 
before there would be other things that would get you fired or something like that. Like if it's a friend of yours, you guys think about things similarly and you would think that Weltman and Hammond are on the same page as Weltman was his assistant GM for five years. You would think those guys would be on the same page and, and that would be something that's very attractive to him. So I know I tweeted it out when it first happened, but I think a lot of people saw, oh, Weltman takes job in Orlando. Okay, that means Hammond is coming back. We don't have to worry anymore. Again, and not that everyone was worried, but there were certainly some people that would not want to see John Hammond leave Milwaukee, aren't quite ready uh, for him to leave, and want to see what he can do with this team. And I know in recent weeks we've had people say that we we want him to come back. We would like him to sign on for a couple more years. Like John Hammond has has done. Some things that we really like, especially, uh, obviously, Giannis, um, that we we would like to see him come back. And I don't know, it, it just seems like to me is something that, that wouldn't make a lot of sense for John Hammond's next career move. To, to take that security, to move into a position, again, it would be a lateral move because you'd still be GM, but it would be a lateral move with, significantly more job security with uh, the potential for adding at least two more years to uh, your general managering uh, career. I don't even know if that's the right way to put it, but your career's general manager. Uh, and I, to me, it it would seem to make a lot of sense. It, it, are you thinking that same thing? Yeah, well, I mean, I think, it, I mean, you start with the, the discussion at the end of the season there where, you know, again, I mean, I don't think John Hammond's just looking to you know, I mean, he's a lifer. He's a survivor. Um, you know, I think his his daughter is now graduated from college, so it's not like he's you know got um, you know like family back home. Obviously, he's married, but but he doesn't have like you know a bunch of kids at home that he wants to be around more. Something, something like that, right? Like he, you know, he he seems to be still energized to to work, and yep. um, he loves the game. He, he obviously, I think he loves the the relationships. Um, and uh, you know, some people, I mean, being a GM is a grind, right? I think I don't know if people appreciate like how much travel and unglamorous things are involved with being a GM. This is why I always struggled with the idea of, you know, kid wanting to be the, the lead decision maker from a basketball standpoint, you know, when, when that was a thing a couple of years ago, because it's just like, I don't think does Jason kid want to like be, you know, at some like random, you know, um, Mountain West conference game in December or something like that. Like, is that, is Mountain West even a conference anymore? I don't know. I think but, it is, but I can't um, imagine he'd want to be there. <laughs> but like, I mean, that, you know, and, and I think that's sort of one of those things too. Like when you look at these guys, like Magic Johnson types, um, sort of these like former players who, you know, have done well and probably like think highly or Phil Jackson is probably the most egregious type. You know, these guys who like, they, they just feel like they're, they know basketball and like, I, they don't want to put in the work, you know? Um, and again, I, and not to say that Jason Kidd isn't a hard worker as a coach, um, but it, it just seems weird given how, again, how unglamorous the GM job largely is. Um, I, I don't Being know. Being a just, GM like, is people. an effing grind. Yeah. And, and I mean, it's, it's, it's just like I was thinking, not to say that coach is easy by any stretch, right? Coaching is not easy too. It's just a very, it's a totally different skill set, I would say. Um, and, and so that, that's just kind of those things I just find interesting is, you know, guys who are great players. Um, I think a lot of them fancy themselves like they just know the game well enough. Like, oh, I'm going to be able to just, you know, be able to pull, put a team together and things like that. And with coaching, well, like, you get the cool parts of basketball. Like, you get to be a part of 82 games. Right. Like, that is, you still, you're not going to get the same adrenaline rush, but there's still, there's still some of that. There's still the exciting thing of 
being a part of the actual game 82 times every year. As a GM, you don't get that payoff. Like right. you, you get to you get to go to all the games and you get to be there, but instead of worrying about rotations or making sure you're motivated your guys the right way, you have to worry that oh I did not get the right players this summer, or I really wish the coach would use this player that I got in a very different way. Like you don't have that control. Like you just get to make your decisions and then kind of deal with it. And also, yeah, the trap like uh, not that traveling as a coach is fun, but as a GM, you're traveling to small schools, you're traveling from university to university, like, it is it is a huge grind, and it is not a fun, I mean, it is a fun job, because you're an NBA general manager, but it there's a lot of parts of that job that are not fun in any way. Yeah, and especially, like, contractual stuff, I mean, I think that's where uh, negotiations, are, I think, are are maybe the area. And again, I, I I should ask some people I know who are actually like you know in in more in the organization. I don't know if I've heard people comment on this specifically to me, but I've always just assumed that like the negotiating contracts part and negotiating trades, like that just seems like the area where if you are not a if you don't have a background in negotiating or you know if you don't understand the CBA, you know, the things that you just do not assume that former players would have much background in, that, that is an area where you can fall hard on your face, right? I mean, Vlade Divac's Exhibit A, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he's been just absolutely taken to the cleaners with some of these trade negotiations. Uh, and again, you know, like if you've got, you know, I mean, th- this is why I think a guy like Justin Zanuck has been, you know, made, was able to make the switch and has a very good rep and, um, not surprisingly, I think when uh, I think we saw there was an article about um, Rob Polinka taking over as a GM in Los Angeles, and they were interviewing a bunch of anonymous um, agents and and their opinions of that and where you know what would be difficult, you know what what they sort of foresaw him how how he they foresaw him making that adjustment. A lot of them kept referencing Justin Zanuck and talking about how you know he had adapted well and you know, sort of underscoring the, the strengths of, you know, having come from the agent side and, and certainly the negotiating side, the, you know, understanding the relationship side, those are areas where, you know, former agents uh, tend to have obviously really, really good backgrounds. And, um, and I'm sure that's, you know, partly why Justin Zanuck is, you know, been a guy that, that has been identified as sort of a rising star young, um, young uh, management type in, in the NBA having made that transition. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, I would hazard at this point, we've probably gotten past the <laughs> the point of you know Jason Kidd being you know a potential future GM slash team president type. Who knows what might happen in the future? Um, but it, it is interesting how much qu- things change. Um, and and wouldn't it be hilarious if John Hammond um, had you know somehow out outlasted Jason Kidd in Milwaukee, given um, you know the way that that thing started a couple years ago, but. Um, as is, you know, at this point, who knows, right? I think <laughs> it, any of those guys could be gone in a month or they could both be here, you know, in a year or even two years from now. And to be honest, nothing would surprise me at this point. So, um, I guess all we can do is, is sit back, wait and see. And the, le- the less we hear, the, the more likely things are just going to stay the same, at least for the short term. Yeah. And, and like I said, it's crazy that we're even at the spot, but that is the NBA for you. So, uh, I think that's going to be it for us for today. Uh, randomly got some news today that i didn't i don't think we were necessarily expecting but thought it was pretty interesting stuff so we want to talk to you guys about it and that's kind of how it's going to be the rest of the summer i know people have been asking 
I know I saw you tweet at a couple people that were saying, well, it's great that you guys are back this week or something like that. And it's we we are not leaving. Um, we're still going to go probably three times a week for sure, maybe three or four times. And on good weeks, it'll probably be five times. Uh, as, as we get closer to the draft and we get closer to free agency, like there will be uh, a plenty to talk about. So um, we'll be around. We're not going anywhere. But again, if you're ever concerned about, okay, well, if it's only going to be three times a week, which three days of the week is it going to be? How are we going to get it? How how are you going to find it? How are you going to see it right away? Well, one, we'll always tweet it out. So you can follow Frank at FMaddenNBA or you can follow me at Eric underscore name. And then second, if you just subscribe in any way that you listen to podcasts, like it will be there for you as soon as we publish it. So uh, just and re- review. Yeah. And review. Give us give us lovely reviews and tell us tell us what else you'd like to see us cover. Um, we need to do some we need to do another mailbag soon and we need to do I've got like a bunch of people I want to have on especially about draft stuff but I've just been too lazy to, to email because it takes like effort to actually <laughs> do that um, and oh by the way do you want to hear do you someone someone uh, tweeted at me uh, I, I jokingly well it's true but I jokingly tweeted my Jeff Weltman story this afternoon um, which if you didn't see me tweet it it was that uh, uh, I tweeted that that Jeff Weltman this is a true story uh, in 2012, this was not the same day I talked to him uh, and John Hammond, but I think the next day or day after, something like that. I was in the the gym at at Vegas in Vegas and um, in in the Thomas and Mack Center, not like a fitness club. Uh, and I was talking to him briefly. And he was like, "Oh, we're uh, we're gonna we're gonna make an offer to a, a guy for uh, like I think it was their biannual exception. It was a small deal." And and he was just like, "You want to know who it is?" And I'm just like, "Yeah, sure." And he's like, "Well." You have to promise not to not to tell anybody. I said, sure. You know, I mean, I, I'm I'm a bad journalist. Like I said, I'm I'm never put much effort into breaking stories, anything like that. Um, and so he said, you got to pinky swear me. And so I literally pinky swore the new team president of the <laughs> Orlando Magic that I would not tell him who, that I would not tell anybody who the Bucks were making an offer to with their biennial exception. Um, I tweeted today that I would take that fact to my grave. Of course, who cares, right? This was five years ago. I don't think Jeff Welton would hold it against me if I revealed it. And because you're listening to this podcast, oh my god, you're gonna do it right now. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just blow my my uh, my my credibility. Wow, Frank, it's over for you. It's over. over I'm never, I'm never being trusted with any secret again. Uh, (laughs) That (laughs) that trivial NBA player still playing today, Randy Foy. Then he signed like the next day with the Utah Jazz. So anyway, there you go, the Milwaukee Bucks. (sighs) Wow, we're interested in Randy Foy like five years ago. Wow, very very that, exciting insight there. <laughs> that changes my whole belief on the trajectory of the Bucks organization and the way that I view John Hammond as a GM. So, um, what if what if they sign Randy Foy? What if they sign Randy Foy in 2012? Do they end up drafting Giannis in 2013? I mean, it's a great question. It's, it's a one, great it's one of the sliding doors. Absolutely, it's one of the great what ifs in Bucks history. There's no the doubt about that. Right, yeah. right up there next to what if Amari doesn't undercut Bogut. It's it's right up there, Frank, with with some of the great ones of all time. <laughs> anyway, there you go. That's what you get for sticking around for an entire Locked on Bucks podcast. You get meaningless five-year-old stale uh, news <laughs> stories. Merry Christmas. <laughs> well, oh, man, just think about all the 2017 stories we're going to tell in 2022, Frank. They're going to be juicy, man. They're going to be juicy. Oh, man. Um, 
All right, that's going to be it for us for today on Lockdown Bucks. Hopefully you'll join us. I can't promise you any more juicy details like that in the next episode, but hopefully you'll join us anyways. Uh, For Frank, man, this has been Eric Name. This has been Lockdown Bucks. We will talk to you later.